Three, two... Well, you need to... No, Hello. you don't have to both count. It's and not necessary. Hello, and welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, Hello. episode two. My name is Quentin Smith. Have you missed us? We're back uh, on the internet. And this is Paul Dean. No jingle for you guys, though, because we don't believe in nonsensical jingles. Well, though. we just haven't really... Can we? Do we need one? No. Uh, games. Games. Uh, thank you for all being patient. We've had a little hiatus on the blog, but now we're back. We're already writing the next episode. Uh, all kinds of exciting uh, stuff. Hot juices coming in your direction. <laughs> I don't. Oh, that's not a good start, is it? Um, we've got all kinds of exciting things we're going to be talking about on today's podcast, though, uh, including Board Game Geek's Game of 2011, uh, Dominant Species, which we finally got around. To, to playing. To playing. Yeah. We had to sort out for- a forklift truck to uh, get it from the shop, but then uh, we met a guy who knew a guy, and so he's helped us out. It's lots of wood in that game. Yes, which and lots of stuff generally, and we could probably even maybe briefly touch on that on some other GMT game. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, we were also looking at <laughs> El Grande, which is an older game, but also another classic, also lots of wood, uh, in which, which is a game about uh, Spaniards. Uh, and then we've got <laughs> Dungeon Pets, which is the sort of sequel, if you will, to Dungeon Lords, which we reviewed. Yeah, which, well, we sort of, we did a thing about Dungeon Pets briefly. We mentioned it, didn't we? Or we opened the box. We made fun of it, episode. <laughs> um, And I played that a little while ago, because we're going to talk about a few different things we have played and touched, mm. and including games new and old. Uh, yeah, not really reviews then, just a sort of uh, thing of what we're playing, what we're excited about, and maybe uh, sort of introducing you to things that you might want to be excited about. So have Board Game Geek maybe ready in another tab and uh, to, to search for all these things. Because uh, Board Game Geek has everything. Paul, everything. To, to prove a point, uh, typed bananas into it earlier today. And sure enough, there is a game called Bananas. Oh, and several banana derivative games. Yeah. But we're not going to talk about those. No, because they're probably awful. Shall we... I, well, we can talk about it a bit, even though we've played it a tiny amount. Yeah, so to clarify, ah. we're giving you impressions of Dominant Species after having played it for, I think, 25 minutes. Um, yeah. But we know how to play it now, sort of. Yeah, we know in theory. So Dominant Species is... Um, Hexes it's and he- monsters. There are no monsters. There's only species. You, you, okay, you created flesh-eating spiders. <laughs> Within five minutes, and I had solar-powered sea monkeys. Yeah, so. okay. So Dominant Species is a game about um, set in 90,000 BC, uh, and it's about dominating or trying to survive uh, an oncoming ice age. So you're all competing for territory, for food, and you're trying to evolve... Like, every new day you've evolved somehow, because it's the only way your species is going to survive. Yes. Uh, we also like it because, um, rather than being, you know, what colour do you want to be, a traditional board-giving question is, which animal do you want to be? Would you like to be birds? Not like a specific species of birds, but all Just of bird all of kind. the birds that ever existed. Would you like to be every snake ever? But you, there are good reasons to, because they all have a power, and the bird's power is that they can get to a place quicker, and the spider's power is that they eat... They basically eat people. Uh, yeah. Seems, well, they really. compete. They I don't compete. know if we actually eat you guys. We do kill you. You either. I think you either eat other people or you out eat them. If that makes any sense. You Maybe. Eat the stuff they eat. Yeah. So it's um it's definitely a tricky one. It, the, uh, the the structure of the game is um sort of worker placement type stuff, which is to say, oh god, the names of the rounds alone should tell you that this is actually quite a complex game. We've got. Uh, adaption, regression, abundance, wasteland, depletion, glaciation, speciation, and that's just half of them. So you decide which of these phases you want to get in on, and then you go through them in order. So in uh, 
in adaption, uh, species evolve. In uh, regression, you you forget how how to evolve, and then in abundance, resources appear. In wasteland, they disappear. So it's all trying to sort of meticulously put, take things on and off the board. That's going to um, that's going to benefit you, but also hopefully impede your opponent. Exactly. So if you there. can eat grubs, if you find grubs uh, totally delicious, like my spiders do, and Paul mainly eats uh, bones. Um, I started off with meat, but then yeah. sun. Yeah, and now sun. <laughs> we don't know what's going on there. But the idea is that if I can remove the meat from an area and replace it with grubs, then my spiders will be happy and Paul will suddenly be in a, a, the, a difficult uh, yeah. position. In a very difficult, although my mammal advantage would be that it's uh, I'm smarter, so it's more difficult for me to become extinct. Yeah, you just walk away. But yeah, obviously every race has their own advantage and disadvantage. You get these. Uh, you have a whole deck of cards that allow you one-time bonuses as well. Things like hibernation, where you can you can temporarily, I guess, Hibernate. leap over. Well, no, I, I meant more generally, you can leap over an obstruction for a turn or something like that. Oh, maybe. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of already uh, immediately apparent why this would be um, considered... The, I mean, we're not enjoying it that much yet because we've only been playing it for 15 minutes, but the idea of it being a masterpiece is kind of apparent in the sense that, um, yeah, it's like some kind of weird Star Trek super chess. Uh, everything that you might... Every resource you might put down, everything you might evolve towards, it all... It's the kind of book you might read, the kind of game you might read about in a science fiction novel, if that makes sense. It, it, it sounds sort of like wonderfully plausible. It is a little bit, and that's probably further enhanced by just all the, mainly the cones, because I can't think of another <laughs> game with cones. Am I just being distracted by the cones here? Yeah, so you have wooden cubes, which are your species. 55 uh, per player. Yep. And uh, then the cylinders, and then the cones. The cones represent domination, um, which almost sounds like a bit of an S&M related sentence. I, and then there's Tundra. And which then you've got Tundra, which spreads across the board uh, very, very slowly, rendering oh, it. That, I rescued that. That was useless. That was, that was close. Yeah, you did. Um, no, I mean that's the kind of the other thing that's interesting that we just touched on as we started playing was you can see as the game goes, the Tundra is go- gradually the whole board is going to be filled up with basically yeah. almost uninhabitable terrain. So we're seeing a sort of situation wherein, uh, if you imagine a kind of area control game where area is gradually uh, both yeah. new areas being discovered as you all. Fly across the board but also being made useless so quite yeah very interesting very nuanced it definitely looks like one of the games where you'll play it for hours and hours and hours and after finishing your first game you will have in fact earned one thing which is an idea of how to play it Uh, yes Um, and how all the little things interplay and Mm. basically what to avoid or what to block other people from doing as well because I suppose like all worker placement games a lot of the stuff you're doing is screwing the other people over by putting Tundra on their head. Yeah, there's a lot of crunch to it. I mean, a lot of worker placement games uh, I I personally dislike because uh, players tend not to interact. But with this, this is is absurdly crunchy. There's not enough territory, there's not enough food. Players are just rubbing up against each other like... um, It's a game of frottage, uh, and also Tundra and Grubs, and therefore... Jonathan Sidran can even recommend from this early stage, I feel. Uh, definitely worth playing and having a look at and also again I mean this is more your kind of thing that you talk about than me but the production quality is quite good too yeah uh, we've got what this is maybe the second edition with a nice this is definitely board. the newest edition and the board is nice and snowy and it's all quite colourful I've, yeah. s- I've seen pictures on Board Game Geek of older editions which look like um, sort of cardboard car crashes uh, yeah. but no anyway uh, so <laughs> Dominant Species very complicated very interesting we'll be bringing you uh, a proper review at some in point in the future or yep. whenever the who knows what will be happening yes 
We'll be bringing you a review before the next uh, Ice Age, hopefully. So, do you, I mean, do you really want to talk about El Grande now? Because it's just going to sound boring. Well, it, it is boring. It, it it's is not it boring. Isn't. We had fun. Yeah, we, we did. We had fun. We did. I had fun. Not all of the people around the table had fun. Who didn't? You uh, had fun. I did have fun. Uh, so, anyway, um, uh, El Grande is a game about Spaniards. It's old as well. It's old as board games go. It's I think it's 1994. Classic. Yes. I'm so guessing the date. It's one of those games like Wallenstein. Uh, we haven't actually played Wallenstein, but that board game geek people hold up as a sort of like it's just kind of a bit perfect. Like it. Well, I say that the the edition we have, which is the new big box uh, anniversary edition. Uh, oh, with all the expansions. Comes with loads of expansions. So I say like you know it's a classic because you can't improve it, but actually they have desperately tried to improve it with the four expansions you get in the box, which aren't necessary for play. So El Grande is a game about um, being... Area control. It's about, it's about Spanish. Spanish, Spanish, Spanish. So you're in Spain and you're all wrestling to control different bits of Spain. You've got 12 different regions and whoever has the most cubes in any one of those regions starts generating points. So it's all about sort of trying not to get into arms races and putting all your cubes into one region well, while an opponent puts all of their cubes into another because somebody else can just start placing one cube into other places. Of course, but then it gets complicated because you can't put things in certain regions because maybe the king's there right now. Yes. It's, ooh, it's taboo to move stuff. Yeah, so it, there's kind of a cute thing wherein the king sort of orbits the board like a weird moon and um, all of you have to... I don't know, you're travelling with him or something because you can only put cubes into regions around the king's region. You also can't put anything in the king's region. So it's like area control, but sort of while the table rotates <laughs> at high yeah. speeds. and then you've got the, the card mechanic as well, which is the other side of the coin, which is... The oh, cards God, that yeah. Do the so, uh, yes, in addition to the king mechanic, you have this slot machine, if you will, of yeah. cards which are on display every time you pull the lever and ching, five cards come out and the five cards will let you do five different utterly mad things and like uh, like uh, taking other people's people uh, taking other people's conquistadors little cubes out of regions and moving them into other regions or shuttling all of your regions from one region to other regions and there's yeah. this changing uh, the points values of regions oh yeah and then and so ultimately the game really does have a, a very sort of pacey uh, thing to it. even though it's actually very sort of dry to look at actually playing it it, it really has speed yeah. momentum I, I found it very engaging and very interesting and I like those two different mechanics that you've very much got the placement thing going on which is a game in itself and then you've got the whole sort of card meta game where every turn something that isn't usually going to happen is probably going to happen which flips everything on its head yeah. which is good and the castle the castle just chuck Dudes into the castle. The castle is a three-dimensional uh, kind of construct, like a big tower, and um, the knights get thrown, literally thrown into the castle, uh, and you can't look in the castle. So it's another area, except nobody can remember how many knights they've put in the castle. So every so often the castle is scored, you lift it up off the board, and about 14 knights spill out, like sort of hungry, starved prisoners, yeah. and then go to other regions on the board, but then you look at the, how many of your colour came out, and you go, seven? Why are that... Yes, wonderful moments where you left the castle and find out you put seven of your men in and nobody else put any in, so you've just been wasting your time. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, but yeah. I enjoyed it. Did you like it? I liked it a lot. It was, yeah, really sort of classy, very simple. That's yes. really sort of, um, yeah, I don't know, as I, as I get older, in my old age, I don't want to... It actually sort of exhausts me these days to think of explaining, I don't know, Twilight Imperium or something really lengthy to some... Like, Yes. You know, taking half an hour to explain something. I, mean, I, I do definitely like games it's like his five minutes, and now we're going to have an awesome time, like El Grande, like Alien Frontiers, which mm. we still haven't reviewed yet. Have we we're thinking about that. Uh, did we talk about it in the last? 
podcast. This is this is you peering into the dark heart of uh, how shut up and sit down is made. Everybody, yeah. did we review that? No, yes. No, we didn't. We definitely didn't review it. We might have talked about it in the podcast. Uh, we're talking about it now in this podcast yeah. indirectly. So if we come across as bumbling way. in shut up and sit down episodes, know that it is entirely true. Shall, shall I just shove us forward on the momentum machine? Yeah. So tell of? everybody at home about how amazing and exciting Dungeon Pets is. Well, uh, Dungeon Pets is certainly a thing that I've played a couple of times now and uh, if you're searching for everybody pets has a Z so that's something you should know thank you very much uh, yeah uh, um, it's yeah well it's like Dungeon Lords it's based in the same world as Dungeon Lords and it has so um, what world is that that's uh, the Vlada Vattel world of small imps yeah it's sort of fantasy so dungeons and heroes except imagined by a man whose parents grew up in a communist country yes and a little bit of sense of humour thrown in and bureaucracy yeah so dungeon lords which we looked at uh, last uh, last year in our blood and trust special is a game where um, you run a dungeon but it's all bureaucracy and you know, you can't. You have to pay your monsters, and you run out of money, and then there's, they unionize. I can't even. A lot of things that. don't quite work exactly as you would would want to, and that stacks on top of the worker placement model yeah. as well. Um, dungeon pets is raising pets, which you will sell to dungeon lords, and ideally you want to raise the best possible pets because the better pets you raise, the more money you'll make when you sell them. Uh, every turn, different buyers turn up who have different priorities. For your pets. So, for example, some of them want to look after pets. They don't mind if your pets are sick. They like that. Other people, <laughs> other people like very aggressive pets. Um, and obviously, you've been raising your pets for a while, so your pets might always already be a certain kind of pet. And you raise them by putting them in pens that you carefully construct in your own sort of mini base area, a bit like when you're building your dungeon in Dungeon Lords. And part of the challenge of raising the pets is actually just raising them without killing them or depressing <laughs> them to death or breaking free from being yeah, too powerful. The, the one time I played it with you, I, I have very strong memories of raising a really wonderful, scary ghost who then, after a turn, after like meticulously raising him from a baby ghost, he just left. Just floated through the cage. Yep. You had that, and I had the most depressed, I think it was a... Golem? Uh, yep, a golem of some sort. And no one would ever buy, because it did nothing and was depressed. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so you have... Uh, you're through the main central board. You're constantly trying to either grab resources to help improve your own dungeon uh, pet base, where you're raising them, or you're trying to step on the toes of other players or influence the pet judges. Yeah, I remember... Um, yes, as I saw... Uh, the, the, the risk reward mechanic that powers it and makes it so exciting is that every time, I mean, you have multiple pets, multiple cages, but um, all the pets start off as very small, very manageable, and naturally, because they're pets, they grow. Yes. And they grow endlessly, and the bigger they get, the more points you get for actually selling them, the more money you get, which is great. Except naturally, as well, the bigger they get, the more likely it is they're going to eat your own worker imps, they're going to break free, they're going to. They, they become more demanding, basically. Trying to entertain a teenage dragon is much, much, much harder than trying to entertain a baby dragon. And you're going to talk about the card mechanic a bit, aren't you? Oh, what Maybe. cards now? The whole. The way. Um, it's a very neat little thing that Dungeon Pets does. Every pet exists as a sort of a cardboard thing with that spin yeah. spindle thing that you rotate. It's a dial, and you sort of dial, dial the pets up every... <laughs> it's like a card box. It's I don't know. Do you need to lie down for I a do. Thing? Bye. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, you just kind of dial your pets up, and you can kind of almost hear the game going... And as it... And yeah, no, sure enough, you never fucking sell them because they just break out. And yeah. 
because as the dial goes up, each pet uh, has more and more cards that you draw off the needs deck. And oh yeah, all these that's right. And needs that you have. That's to the wonderful thing. So I talked about how hard it is to um, to you know entertain a dragon, and you might be building your entire pen, all of your infrastructure around entertainment, having a, like a little theme park for the dragon, and then you know you draw the cards, and he just he just he's angry that yeah. turn. His so his he, needs that turn are his aggression. Yeah, and he probably kicks or... a hole in the cage and leaves, and the rest of the table laughs, and you actually undergo intense pain. That's like like all Vlada games, you know, these aren't kiddie. He really pulls no punches, and you can just suffer massive setbacks. This is the thing. They're fairly... Um, it is another fairly difficult game where not everything is going to go your way. You can't have a perfect... Or you'd be very lucky if you have a perfect turn. Yeah, yeah, things yeah. Things happen, and things go wrong. Uh, no, we, we definitely... I don't, we haven't reviewed it because we looked at Dungeon Lords so soon ago. We probably will look at it uh, at some point. But yeah, I think Paul likes it. I definitely do prefer it to Dungeon Lords. Mm, you do, don't you? Yeah, so Dungeon I Pets... I like it. We, we would definitely generally recommend that. Um, but that's... like It is big and complicated. So, and, you know, it's, it's, it's expensive. It's a big game. So let's talk about something small that I'm in love with. Um, uh, oh, really? Which is Hive. Oh, I Or Hive Pockets. Mention a person. Hive? No, no. If, if my girlfriend was called Hive, that wouldn't bode well. Um, yeah. You could have a beehive for hair, and you could... What? Insects are in Hive. Insects are in Hive, the game. Hive Insects. Pocket uh, is an is a, is a abstract game, and we never look at abstract games because... Let's face it, they're kind of boring a lot of the time. Sometimes. To but not at. in this case. Not this necessarily to play. something that you like quite a bit. So Hive Pocket is essentially a, a little bag that could fit in your pocket full of lovely, really heavy plastic hexagons. Um, and on each of these hexagons is an insect. And you place these hexagons down. There's no board. You just take it in turn to place hexagons down. Um, so... What of each of your hexagons is the queen. If you surround the enemy queen with insects, then you win. And uh, rather than placing an insect, you can actually move an insect instead. So it's this bizarre thing. If you imagine a kind of... Uh, you've seen footage of a beehive, I'm sure. The way that bees crawl over each other and around each other in a big mess of insects, that's sort of where Hive gets its theme from. Because, let's say, uh, you know, Paul's put down ants that are just circling all around my hive, and then I put down a grasshopper that jumps in behind his queen, and suddenly he looks at the board, and, oh, I've made it so the queen only has one space left. At which point, uh, you know, I, if I just get an ant down, then I can move something into that space, and now Paul needs to move his queen. And because all, all the insects move differently, don't they? Yeah, you? and, and they're, the they're even wonderfully, uh, and I wish there was more of this in the game, you have beetles, uh, which crawl on top. Like, uh, you place them on top of the board, so you end up building vertically as well as uh, horizontally, which is awesome. But yeah, you don't quite see that enough. But yes, beetles can just sit on things, at which point that thing can't move. Uh, yeah. It's kind of fascinating, isn't it? It's a bit like building your own chessboard with all your chess pieces that have their own moves. Yeah, and it is kind of chessy in the sense that you have to plan ahead and think. Uh, Hive Pocket, I think, won some kind of award from Mensa, and uh, wow. I found that interesting. And then I started playing it and went, oh, this is clearly a game that people from Mensa like. It's like, um, yeah, it's almost sort of a, a puzzle, even just learning how to play well. You actually have to apply real brain power. So many of the games we look at, you know, you have to think and you can plot and you can scheme. The Hive is maybe the first game we've looked at where if you're actually a genius and you and you play it and you really, really think, the thing unlocks like a Rubik's Cube. It's, um, yeah, there's real depth there. Mm. I'm awful at it, though. I love well, playing Well, so it. am I, actually. So. Yeah. Interestingly, yeah, the test for Hive is definitely play it with a really smart friend and see whether you win. And the answer is you won't, uh, because they will crush you. Um, so I definitely want to get good at that. But yeah, Hive Pocket's really cute. We're definitely going to be uh, reviewing that. But yeah, a bit abstract. But also something you could just take to a pub. 
Yeah, it's really portable and yeah, neat. Super and portable. Because it's kind of uh, clacky and heavy and made of big plastic chunks, it's not exactly going to get water damaged. No, that's so a good point. You could spill beer on it and it would be great. Not uh, that we ever do that. No. We're too, but no, we're too young kind of neat. to drink in the UK. The drinking age here is actually 28. Uh, it which is. Not many people know that. But I'm... Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Ah. <laughs> so uh, you just made a noise there. The There's a game which we've had for the entire time that we've been doing Shut Up and Sit Down that we haven't reviewed yet. What's it called, Paul? Why haven't we reviewed it's it yet? It's one of my possibly least favourite games in the entire world. And so every time I've played it, I've had a bad time. <laughs> so basically, what we're going to give you now is a sort of avoid this game. And which game is it? Which game is it, Paul? It's it's called Magbla. And what did you... Might she hear? Is Magblast going to get offended? Magblast is a game, the tagline is Screaming Space Battles. Now the interesting thing about Magblast is the first edition, it was just... If my memory's not playing tricks on me, the first edition, it was just a game of... You play spaceships out of your hand, and it's a card game where you put spaceships down and fight them. Yes. And the new editions of Magblast are identical to the old edition, but there's a rule in it. I think that's the only change, is that there have been a, like very minor card and rule changes, but fundamentally, yeah, it's a game where you lay out a fleet of ships in a sort of a shape, where, you know, this is the ship that's at the front of your fleet, or the ship on the flank, and you fire at other people's flanks, or their fronts and their backs, and you have to make the laser noise of your ship firing. Because that's the, that's the one rule that the game has that <laughs> be interesting, apart from my number is bigger than your number. And I've got a card that does... Ah, oh, you've lost. Ah, oh, I've won, because I had to... Uh, right, is there So you have you to make no. whatever card you play, whether it's, what, like a missile or a direct hit, you have to make the noise for it. Ow, that really hurt. I'm Paul's banging bang his my head, head against on that again. Uh, so don't buy it, because it makes Paul bang his head on the, uh, on the wall. On the wall. So yeah, is, it, is it just sort of uh, very simplistic, not really thought through? Well, it, I don't like stuff there? that's simple. Um, I mean, obviously we just said El Grande is kind of simple rules-wise, and certainly Mag, Mag Blast is simple rules-wise, and it comes with loads of cards and stuff, but uh, there's not really any kind of tactic or any... Uh, there are no handholds for you to grab and to pull and to, you know, wrench yourself to some kind of tactical victory. I find it's just, you know, my card is better than your card, my so number is bigger than yours. As long as we're sat here in the, in the misery shed... Uh, with our cups of... Or the other thing I was going to say quickly, while we're in the misery shed, is it's the other, it has player elimination, which is... Ah, yeah. And it, there's no mechanic to prevent, like, three or four people attacking another player and knocking them out, and then, you know, it's sort of... It, it's not even survival of the fittest, it's survival of the sometimes who goes first and has the biggest cards, which is rubbish. <laughs> yes, sorry, but you have a friend in the misery shit. Yeah, I do. A uh, card game. A car- another card a game. A really famous card game. Yeah, which I can't stand, and I'm going to rant briefly about. Okay. I'm going to have a sip of my, um, of my angry juice. Uh, and That's then tea. It's cold tea. So if tea makes British people happy, cold tea makes them sad. That's another thing we're teaching you about the UK. Um, Munchkin! Mm. Man, Munchkin. I don't like Munchkin at all. I don't don't, don't want to play it. So (laughs) Munchkin is... um, Yeah, if you don't know it, it's very, very famous. It it has a million expansions at this point. It has spin-offs like... Munchkin Western and Munchkin Cthulhu and Zombie Munchkin, I think. Yeah. And then there's Munchkin Dice and there's there's Munchkin Quest now, which is Munchkin card game but turned into a proper board game where you walk around and and Munchkin is parodied Dungeons and Dragons. So a Munchkin player in D and D terminology is somebody who doesn't play with the team. A Munchkin is purely interested in amassing 
experience and levels and magical items that will make them absurdly powerful. They game the system. They play the system. They don't play the sort of the spirit behind Dungeons and Dragons, which is exploring and role-playing and having fun with friends. But, I mean, of course you can play any game how you want, but munchkins tend to be passive-aggressive to everyone else. So in the game, the card game Munchkin by Steve Jackson Games, you all play munchkins trying to gain experience and treasure and kill monsters, but you're all also trying to... While you can work together, if a big monster comes up and you can split the experience and gold, you can also try and hamper other players. Everybody also has uh, sort of adjective cards that they can place on monsters. So you're not fighting a dragon, you're fighting an elder dragon, which makes it really tough. So let's say they, you know, if somebody thinks they can fight something, then other players can pile on adjectives to make it something unbeatable. And gradually you level up and you become strong and you can take on stronger monsters that come out of the dungeon. And, um... Yeah, and there is a game to it, mostly surrounded uh, by sort of like holding cards back so you can screw over other players uh, when they when they need that, to kill that monster the most. But yeah, but you am I guessing that you partly don't like it because it's one of those games where you just someone tries to do something and another player goes, "No, you don't do that." Yeah, well, it's very lightweight, but it's not very clever. Um, is my fundamental problem. I think yeah. most people who would talk about Munchkin wouldn't say that it's a clever game. They just enjoy playing it because it's like, oh, I, I, I played a card, now you're, you're in trouble. Because you don't have any knowledge as to what other people's hands are. So ultimately, it's really just throwing down cards and stuff happens in the finest of the Maritrash yeah. style. The reason I dislike Munchkin, the, the thing that takes it from a game that I'm not really interested in into a game I actively dislike and don't would never encourage anyone to buy, is that Munchkin is geeks laughing at geek culture. It's very in-jokey. It's Munchkin Cthulhu is the same thing. It's like making in-jokes on a genre. I mean, presumably Zombie Munchkin is a lot of sort of references to zombie movies and puns, which is something I really dislike seeing in board games because because we're better than that. Because board games are such a beautiful hobby. It's it's the opposite of the reason we started to shut up and sit down because we want more people playing board games. If you take any board gamer, you know, you say to them, wouldn't you love to be able to share this hobby with more people? Wouldn't you love to be able to buy these games not from individual tiny specialist shops? We all think this is awesome. And then Munchkin is taking that and making it exclusive. It's making jokes that only geeks get. And that's quite cold. And it's not very pleasant. And it's not very clever either because making in-jokes... You know, within something that you all already get, that requires very little creativity. You know, mm. I mean, I could make a hundred jokes about D and D, sort of references that people laugh like, "Oh yeah, I get that." But I mean, if you wanted to make a card game that was funny in and of itself to anybody, that's really hard. That's a skill worth chasing, I think. So you've got you've got really a number of different objections, which is the mechanics and uh, the kind of the randomness of just oh, I've got a card, have you? That's nice, and then the I guess, yeah, the the fundamental thing that it's built around, which is this this pillar of uh, harking back to other stuff that people have already played or, mm. exper- or haven't. It's, their, it's quite their similar to why we disliked Arkham Horror in our review, really. It's like, um, if you remove the thing that holds it up, there's actually a really central pillar behind Arkham Horror of the theme carries the game. If you remove the theme, the game is absurd. Uh, and it's similar with Munchkin in the sense that I don't know anybody who plays and likes Munchkin who would want to play it with, like, family members or people who don't play D&D yeah um, and I think that's actually a very good point to come to think of it I've not thought of that I've always not minded Munchkin um, like I've been kind of neutral towards it it's been one of those games that I've never turned down uh, a chance to play like if someone pulls it out and says do you want to play this no, yeah sure I'm sort of fine that's okay but um, no, I'm never very excited by it, and it also has a, kind of a bit of an end game problem where it turns into one of those games where 
you require everyone to exhaust all their cards before somebody can win because when you're all at level 9 you need to do something to get to level 10 to win the game yeah. and inevitably at that point people have been sitting on their best items or some of their best cards they chuck all those down when someone tries to do something so they can't win it becomes the next person's turn you all have marginally fewer cards until eventually you've sort of run out of stuff and someone goes, I'm going to do this. And you go, I can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, and they go, the table, can you do anything? No, no, It's no. just really sort of a weak way to end a game, isn't it? Mm. Uh, I mean, like, and as far as sort of like timing and endings go, I think what we, what weirds me out about Munchkin is that fundamentally all those references come from like the 1980s and sort of like early 90s. It's just... Yes. It's well, just kind of... I don't mind, but... Well, no, obviously <laughs> it's not really necessarily a problem, but it's like if Munchkin is, I don't know, maybe it's the number one board game or card game that geeks buy it's like that. that's kind of chasing your culture into a dead end because you're making references to something where like kids today won't like I I know what the etymology behind Munchkin is but nobody else does it's like can't we be sort of looking for what's new and exciting about our culture rather than taking something that's ancient I mean like even with the character trying to revitalise D&D now it seems mad to be saying oh let's awesome let's play a game which references the second edition of this thing which is now not even something we play anymore do you have something more exciting you'd like to segue us on to yes god let's some be, let's, be, let's be and do a positive thing uh, what have we got uh, we've got a list of uh, things let's talk about something that's exciting that, we, that came through the post let's talk about Labyrinth ah ah what is it um, ah Labyrinth is uh, well, I don't know. Let's describe it first. Labyrinth most reminds me of 1960, The Making of the President, because it's a two-player game. One of you plays um, not very nice jihadist people who are attempting to destabilise the world and destroy people and bring down uh, pleasant governments and nice people. And the other side plays the Western world and mostly really the US trying to fight a war on terror. Yes, so it's sort of... Uh, yes, it's the war on terror of the game. The subtitle of the game is Labyrinth, the war yes. on terror. 2001, to question mark. I should have said that. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, the, the board we've got here that we're looking at right now is a sort of map of the Middle East uh, with England in the upper left going all the way down to the bottom right with... Uh, Thailand Malaysia and the Philippines. And Malaysia and Thailand, yes. Yeah, so very much Asia. And uh, yeah, and it's... It's a game full of fascinating-looking mechanics because, I mean, I haven't played it yet, but I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm very excited for me do play it because the theme is so interesting and I also yes. love asymmetrical games and presumably what each side's trying to do is very different. Yes, there's well, there's a there, there are similar elements on both sides, uh, but no, there's a lot of different stuff going on. It plays a lot like 1960 in that it's very driven by cards that you pull out of a massive deck which all have certain events on, which have certain values, and when you try and play them for the values, like, oh, this allows me to do these three, like, I can move three terrorist cells. Uh, if that card is helpful to the US player, the US player can also go, ah, but your card says this, so meanwhile this happens elsewhere in the world. And it becomes a kind of a seesaw game of uh, you, everything you want to do, it's not necessarily very difficult to do, you just have to, uh, in some way, temper or balance out the, the other benefits that other players are going to get and I find that interesting but I'm still very new at the game so I don't want to make any rash judgments and you were talking telling me earlier about how um, as governments become more unstable the US needs to move in because they sort of generate yes there, I mean there's all kinds of that's another one of the seesaw things going on is yeah there's all kinds of elements of um, balance and imbalance the, the US ideally wants to make most of this part of the world very stable and very well governed and very very friendly because uh, that 
prevents jihadist funding and it prevents uh, the rise of Islamist terror cells. You have things like uh, the terror cells, when they're all dormant, uh, can shuffle around, but they can't do very much, but they're then really hard to find. And <laughs> you want them to be active, because when they're active, they're actually able to execute plots and, and you know, blow people up and do terrible stuff. But at that point, they also become easier to find. And then you get this whole kind of, in the Afghanistan part of the board right now, there is a thing going on where... If either side wants to do something in that territory, they need to shuttle more tokens in there and have a certain number more tokens there of these little wooden things before they can do the thing that they want to do. Uh, and and then that just becomes a sort of a, a black hole for all your resources as you're shuttling <laughs> more and more stuff as part of the board saying, I want to stabilise this country or I want to destabilise it. And then you just you start running out of cards and money because the more stuff you have on the board, like troops or terror cells, uh, the fewer cards you get to draw, the fewer things you get. It's all <laughs> swings and roundabouts, which is interesting. And what was the thing you were showing me earlier about shuttling a WMD to uh, the United States? Well, that's one of the win conditions, one of the possible win conditions for, uh, for the not-so-nice guys, is if you can do something like destabilise Pakistan, which at the moment has a poor government, according to this game, and is not even an ally, so that's not very helpful. Um, if you can get dudes in there and they can grab uh, WMD, then they can potentially shuttle it somewhere to the US. So you were saying earlier, they, we've got these WMD skull and crossbones tokens, but when you flip them over, they just it just says terror plot. Yes, and it becomes another plot somewhere. So And the plot tokens can be moved around. So you essentially have a shell game, wherein if the US is looking at multiple plots, one of them may be a WMD, and if that WMD does get to the America part of the board, then the game's over. And the problem is, uh, they'll only really have the resources they need to chase up a couple of things every turn. And the, the problem you're going to have is, do you try and stamp on everything as it starts? Do you concentrate on the biggest things? Uh, it's kind of, I suppose it's trying to be realistic here and make a statement, but it's kind of sad that sometimes bad things are going to happen in places somewhere in the world, and you're just not going to be able to deal with them or care about them you're just going to have to well this is why I really like we mm. talked about how 1960s design with all the cards with events and the board and the map and the way that the entire strategy behind the game is actually sort of teaches you a lot about real life the reason that Labyrinth excited me and I'm looking forward to playing it is that yes it, well hopefully it'll be sort of educational as to how America wants to stabilise governments and Islam you know doesn't uh, because Islam wants their own governments in control uh, Islamists Islamists sorry yes uh Hopefully this will be educational, but more than that, it'll be more relevant. Like, sort of, learning about today's war on teller arguably more relevant than learning about, the, learning about Nixon and Kennedy. Yeah, which is interesting in, it, in, in itself, in that I've never really... Nothing we've ever looked at before has been that tied to the real world. No, and mostly so it's I been dungeons and fairies. Dungeons and fairies, or, you know... And grubs. Ancient history, or... Yeah, or grubs and evolution. And um, <laughs> even actually opening this, some of it, it's all very relevant and very recent. And it, I don't know if it touched a nerve with me. I don't feel that sensitive a person about this. But I don't know. Certainly if we sat down together to write a written review one day, I'd, I'd kind of be Not wanting, wanting to, to be, be diplomatic about, 
I don't know, Every- I just would. Well, yeah, do you remember in the Christmas special we looked at um, Phantom Leader, that uh, game about Vietnam yeah. War, and that was actually was bizarrely moving, losing pilots over <laughs> Vietnam and then them showing up again a month later Which or something. Which is interesting, yeah. But certainly with this as well, I mean, if the game says anything to me, it says to me these things are complicated and you try and fix things and sometimes they go wrong, <laughs> even if, with the best of intentions. It's just like uh, making shut up and sit down. It's a very accurate, especially with the WNDs, it's a very accurate representation <laughs> of how we make shut up and sit down. Let's talk about another... Uh, yes, a less quite-so-hot topic. Well, I'll tell you what, another modern game that's that's less hot uh, and is in fact quite cold and wet is Glenmore, which is a game about mm. controlling uh, or sort of overseeing Scottish provinces uh, in history. Glenmore, the great Glen. Uh, I what is a Glen? A Glen is a... Uh, hang on. Okay, if you're... If it's, you're is it not a valley with a stream or river in Probably. Let's assume okay. it is. So it's a game of glens and locks and making whiskey and... It's a game of Scottish stereotypes. Yeah. Uh, made by a guy who clearly is not, has never been to <laughs> So in Glenmore you've all got sort of, um... Oh, you're all trying to pick tiles up off a central board and add them to your own personal estate. And you're doing this in a, bit, a very weird challenge because... Every time you place a new tile on your estate, so it grows outwards like a kind of um, sort of snaking disease. Uh, every time you put a tile in the estate, it activates every adjacent tile. Yes. So if you put it down in a sort of corner, then you might activate the top, top right, and then right, and then bottom right tiles, which can be great because it might mean the quarry gives you stone, and then you sell the stone. And I can't remember how to play it at all. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. Um, you grab, to- you have a central board where you sort of you leapfrog your way around the board with the other players. Yes, and you can jump almost as far forward as you want, but then the distance behind you gives lots of people a chance to catch up. When you jump forward, you pick up whatever tile you, you land on. on. Which could be something really cool that you really want. Well, it probably will be because you control where you land. <laughs> you leave, you abandon everything that you leave behind you, and then everyone else's moves are catching up with you, and that can allow them to maybe pick up three or four tiles in a row, which they all, like you say, add to your estate. Put it down next to something. If it's a quarry, it burps up more stone or more uh, sheep appear magically, or stuff appears when you use it. But obviously, because your estate gradually gets bigger and bigger, this uh, tiling of tiles causes the stuff in the middle of your estate to eventually die and wither because you can't put anything next to it anymore you also have the thing going on where you need to keep getting more villagers which are little meeple tokens to put in your village because you can only put stuff down to, next to where meeples are so you're both trying to you're trying to put stuff down you're yeah. trying to put it down where you have guys and so you're trying to get guys so you have enough which to me is all interesting, but you didn't have an exciting. No, time, it, well, it reminded me of uh, Carcass tile placing game Carcassonne, except whereas Carcassonne's very light and breezy, and oh, I put down a thing and hooray! Glenmore was oh mm. god, what how? Because yeah, I just found out I backed myself into a corner. I don't know if we'll be reviewing Glenmore because yeah, like Paul says, I, it's quite a small game. It's not something you're likely to see in a shop, and uh, it also fell into the Quinn's bog of, uh, of terrible mistakes a board game can make, which is I was playing it. I was very confused for half the time. Didn't have, uh, yeah, sort of really wrestling to... I just decided to devote myself to whiskey production. Made endless whiskey. By the end of the game, I was producing more whiskey than I could actually get points for. So I was just all over the place. And then we counted up the scores at the point that I won. 
And you if, didn't know how, did you? Yeah, and if I don't understand the game and accidentally win, even though everyone else can see what I'm doing and try and counter me and build their own things, that, that doesn't speak well of a powerful design to mm. me. Or, not, you know, one that perhaps reveals itself after everybody's played lots. Which, But either way, that's not something we want to recommend. You're not very engaged with it, are you? I'm not very engaged with it, no. But you, you Which is fine. I, no, I like <laughs> it because I, I, it's small enough that I've actually taken it to airports and played it in airports and had a lovely time in an airport playing it. Um, well, Hive is even smaller. That's and waterproof. True. You could play. You could actually play Hive underwater, if you want. You play it in the bath. If you if you like bathing with somebody who you play board games with, me and Paul don't do that. Not anymore. Not after what happened with Mansions of Madness. Should we um, just move on? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what else have we been playing recently? Let's do a quick roundup of all the stuff we've been playing. You know, quick, fast. Citadels. Citadels. You were playing that. Yeah. How was that? Uh, Citadels. Uh, Did you enjoy right, it? No, I put Citadels on the list for us to quickly discuss because some people on the Penny Arcade forum, there are some people, and they said they didn't like it because it wasn't balanced and it wasn't fair, and I thought that was odd. So we reviewed Citadels in our very first episode, and now yeah, Paul's first saying... thing of the first Yeah, episode. the first review of the first episode, and we loved it, and now Paul's in a mood, you should see his face, he's, he's got steam coming out of his ears, because he's found out some people somewhere in the world don't like it. I was really surprised that some people thought it was imbalanced. They were saying, oh, but, you know, every time I play this guy picks the same card every time, or the same thing happens to me every time. Or, to clarify, just, Citadels is a game of where you, you pick... You're trying to build a city, and mostly the game is within the eight characters you can choose from. So yes. if you're the king, you get more money. If you're the architect, you get more buildings. But there are two characters, the assassin and the thief. And if the, at the beginning, if you pick them, then you say, okay, I'm going to kill the king. So if anyone chose the king, the king gets shanked, and he found it in a toilet somewhere. Yeah, at which point, or you steal from the merchant, or something like that. Yeah. So it's actually a game about predicting your friends, and with a nice kind of little city-building thing. It's like Agricola or something. It's one of those games that gets given glue by... The fact that you're building something, yeah. which is nice and satisfying. Which is nice and satisfying, and yet almost not really. You forget about that so often because you're so obsessed with getting the character you want yeah. to perform the action that you want that turn. It's a nice clever bit of board game design, the, uh, just to, to try to bulk something up. By uh, So yeah, playing Citadels, and that, that's crazy that some people don't like it's it. It's crazy, and it's good, and there's no, I don't think there's anything wrong with balancing. We played Pictomania again recently, ever. which we looked at, uh, which, we brief, which we reviewed on the blog. That was our game to play with your family at Christmas, even if they don't like board games or life. And it was still fun. Every time we've played it, we've had a good time. Yeah. Pictomania is amazing. Definitely go and read our review of that if you haven't uh, read it yet. Um, I played Seven Wonders. I, oh, I had the glorious experience for the first ever time of playing Seven Wonders with seven people. Oh my god! And that was uh, in America. So I was in America last month, and I actually met up with some Shut Up and Sit Down fans. Your your copy? No, it wasn't. Oh. I met up with Shut Up and Sit Down fans who are lovely. Uh, and if they're listening to this right now, they should know that they're lovely. And thank you for all the bourbon you fed me. And I'm sorry I threw up on your cat. Um, but yeah, we played Seven Wonders uh, all together, seven of us, and it was great. Just it's like Seven Wonders is the game you would play on a commune uh, if, if you know, everyone just was lovely because it's just a game of passing cards around. And sometimes it's, oh, thanks for giving me this thing. And sometimes it's, why and did you give you watch, me this? You watch your thing grow and yep. get your satisfaction of having a quarry that's helped make... Yeah, and people buy resources off you. It's all very, very nice. It's like some kind of... Seven Wonders, it's like it's competitive, but if I had to compare it to anything, it would be maybe just like seven people cooking in the same kitchen or something. It's but with cards instead of food 
What am I talking about? Let's. Um, How did you actually onto the cat? Because it would even cats are not very big. Well, I mean, somebody was holding it down at the. I was going to say Baron Munchausen. Right. Is oh. a game we looked at, or very briefly, in an impressions piece a couple of I months ago. I never played that before. This was my first. Time. Oh yeah. So uh, Baron Munchausen is a game of storytelling. It's it's one of the games we along with Skull and Roses that we'd recommend for pubs and hive, I suppose. Pubs yeah. and bars. Um, so Baron Munchausen is a game where you all stand around in a group. And you go, uh, and you go, Baron Dean, tell us of the time that you escaped an Irish prison with nothing more than uh, your own uh, elbows. And then, of course, uh, this instantly throws a story my way that I have to improvise immediately. So go. Well, uh, it's funny that you should mention that, because uh, as we all know, Irish prisons are notoriously poorly guarded, and it's uh, extremely easy for most gentlemen, especially the British persuasion or disposition or heritage, to uh, merely use charm and good manners and... Uh, but sir, you used your little, elbows. A little cooking, uh, which... Uh, and of course, my elbows are... Mainly when I cook, I... I... Uh, I oh, dear. <laughs> and that's the game. Pummel my food. <laughs> there you go, it's rare steak And the Irish technique. love pummeled food. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's Baron Munchausen. Then you're allowed you're allowed to slide tokens from your stash towards other people to interject. Like, sir, but it's well known that there's no food in Ireland for the great famine is, and so on. This is true, but yes, uh, yes, however, yes. As, as my family know, I produce my own food from my glands. <laughs> <laughs> and then the story goes off in some yes. inbred uh, sort of cul-de-sac. Where and you, this bounces around the table where you, you know, you try and get everyone around the table to do their own tool story. You try and shift your tokens that you have towards them to make it more difficult for them by interjecting. Yes, it also has the best manual of anything um, we've ever read. All right, what's what? Is I don't know this. What is in the manual? Because the rules must be about one page. Uh, yeah, the rules are one page. The rules are located in an appendix in the manual entitled "The Rules in Brief." Um, the manual is about eighty pages. The new edition of the manual, I should say, is about eighty pages long and um, <laughs> and is entirely written by the character Baron Munchausen because it is his game and it's written in the style of uh, I think the eighteenth or seventeenth century. So it's all very much like um, uh, after the stories have been completed, have the have the pot boy refresh your glasses and perhaps. Perhaps make com- comparisons to, uh, to to Keats's poetry uh, of the stories that you have heard, and if not, then maybe not. Maybe don't do that. <laughs> and it's just, it's all really, really, really funny. Um, yeah, you can just read it like it's and and have the most incredible time. So yeah, it was good, wasn't it? I mean, you've played it a number of times now. I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, the ge- oh yeah, the game we played was mainly awful because um, I experienced something in Baron Munchausen I've never had before, wherein uh, I got the crap kicked out of me when it came to my story. But you think, did pretty well, I thought. It was the, I think it's because I was explaining the rules because, yeah, I don't know, somehow everyone else was nervous about telling their story and very kind of like halting. Yeah. But then because I explained the rules, everyone just went mental on my turn. And I was, everyone shoved, shoved tokens towards Yeah, everybody like slipped tokens yeah. at me just, just basically pointing out every single uh, dead end in my story so, uh, having me explain everything and by the time I explained everything it became very clear there were contradictions people slid more tokens my way and if you can't explain a contradiction you have to say like oh perhaps I misremembered or something like that at which point you give one of your tokens to mm. them so you can actually be drained of tokens and then there are other rules to do with the fact that if you do run out of tokens you have a duel uh, and, the, and yeah and anyway yes it's all wonderful very very simple very silly uh, this, like okay. I said, just was in our impressions piece. Definitely go back and read that if you haven't yet. Um, 
Yep. Uh, I, sort of, we should kind of wrap this up, but another review they can look forward to soon is uh, Virgin Queen. That is a game, yes. Also uh, sent to us. So we're, we're trying to sort of cover a lot of aspects of um, board gaming over the next six months. Stuff we haven't necessarily covered yet, like yeah. abstract games, like bar games, which I think we've had requests for. Also sort of more hardcore war games, um, which is something we haven't really touched. We've got Labyrinth, that's a good start. And we've also got, also from GMT Games, Virgin Queen. We have, yes, Virgin Queen, um, Labyrinth, and Dominant Species are all from oh, GMT. Yes. They're all not very big box games, but they're very dense. Very dense. There's no air in the box. There's lots of wood. Uh, Virgin Queen, then, is a, is a game, a very tricky-looking war game uh, set in... I'm going to get it out of the cupboard right now. Okay, the time of uh, Mary, uh, Queen Mary. Queen Mary, Elizabeth. Queen of Scots, is that... I think she's in there. It's, it has Queen Elizabeth on the box, but, you know, she's not... Very famous, so you would have heard of her. Uh, okay, so Virgin, the first, not you the can second. play. Mainly, this was brought to our attention because uh, you feel can, how heavy that is. That's really heavy. It's and like and, and it's all stuff. That's it's a hideous cover. That's that's awful. That well, it's that's what she. That's the picture. That's of actually her. just a picture of her. So I that's guess you can't really said. blame her. So yeah, the game is in Europe and it's about domination and, and competing. For, it's, it's all aspects of European life. You will compete for the attention of artists. You will go to war. You can assassinate each other. And all kinds of famous figures are in the game, and, and we haven't played it yet. But Paul's got very excited about one thing, which is that all the different uh, yes. all the different historical characters. Would you like to tell this story? I will, well, you, well, you know what? I'm going to try and actually find the cards right now. All the different historical characters from the game have their own sort of wee cards like this with nice, nice, you know, pictures. Oh, we got Charles the Ninth, Anne of Austria. And, you know, they've got a thing where if you do a certain thing with them, Don Carlos must re-roll highest marriage result die. <laughs> marriage. And you flip on the other side, and it's just all causes of death. It's like how long they lived, and it's never like... <laughs> Oh, you know, they expired in an old home. It's assassinated by handgun. Oh, assassinated by handgun. Gangrene, gout, fever, drops. <laughs> All three of them beheaded. Unknown. 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 Natural causes as oh. opposed to dropsy. Uh, assassinated as his army besieged Paris. So these are all quite simple then. And then you have, this is Henry Lord Darnley, cause of death. Found strangled outside exploded house. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. So, what else do we know about uh, Lorn Dunleavy? Oh, looks look at quite normal. The fr- he looks like Harry Potter. Adds two French influence in Scotland if he marries Mary Queen of Scots. So yeah, again, a lot of marriage as well as war, as well as all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah, very dense. It's going to be an interesting review. I think yeah. If Paul and I, Paul and I's review of Mage and I, we basically just talked about how how complex and rich it was, and I think there's definitely an attitude that. If we can devote ourselves to fantasy to that kind of extent, then we should definitely look at some war games. What are we missing, Paul? We don't know. We don't play war games. We don't very much, no. Well, maybe and then, and this is, you can come on this journey with us. Better. You can explore the world of war games, as we do, as, and probably we're going to say, oh, don't buy any of these. There. Or maybe not. I mean, at the moment, Labyrinth, the, the manuals for Labyrinth are a bit heavy. There are two, and one of them is a playthrough, and the other is... Uh, the rules, rather rather than like, you know how 1960 writes the rules in kind of an order, like you'll do this and this will happen. The other labyrinth manual is just a list of just points and each one is an individual rule point and they don't necessarily follow from each other or try and describe, you know, like you play the game in this order. They're just a, a list of instructions like a program and I'm not very good at programming. 7.2, War of Ideas. 7.2.1, War of Ideas in a Muslim Country. 7.2.1.3, Regime... Re- regime. Regime, regime change. Regime change. War uh, of Ideas, maker in a country marked with regime change. 
Oh, oh, only if the number of troops there exceeds the number of cells by at least five. Yeah, this is going to be fun, isn't it? And the thing is, the other manual tries to explain more of it in more of a narrative, but uh, but no, I think there's a game in here worth finding, and I'm sure there are a lot of board gamers out there who are actually very good at this kind of thing, and they're used to their board games being this heavy. Yeah. We're, we're maybe not. No. By the way, before I forget, yes, there is also Warriors and Traders, which oh, looks yes. a bit like Virgin Queen, but lighter. Yeah, so we might have to do a kind of double review there. Warriors that and Traders looks really neat. Um, Warriors and Traders, uh, by a, a company that makes board games, is uh, a sort of medieval board game wherein everybody can... You're all competing, obviously, for sort of like territory and points and whatnot, but you can choose to build your empire in... One of three ways. So you can either become uh, just a bastard and war and armies, or you can go, uh, you can go economy instead of economy. So you can build castles and sort of develop your own lands, or you can be a trader, which is really interesting because you actually become the trading hub for other players. Uh, to the point of even gaining monopoly on certain resources. So yes, it's great. You're, a, you know, uh, that neighbour of yours is going to go to war, but he won't be able to go to war unless he trades with you, which is really interesting. Um, it is, and also, um, and it looks quite simple, quite breezy, yes. and yeah, just lots of really stuff that immediately pops out at us and makes us excited. Like the fact that if you have the full six-player, uh, you know, amount, you can actually go. You know, three, versus three for all, three, or, or you can two, do three versus three yeah. and two versus two versus two. Yeah, which is, it just looks really interesting. Very lovely, very uh, nice components. Kind of, um, I don't know what you'd call that art style, but kind of be googling that medieval sort of ish. Medieval kind of uh, what do you call it? Like not tapestry, but um, the other one, the one's written up fresco. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, and it just looks sort of. Paul and I have been doing this for long enough that occasionally we just see a game and we think that looks really quite fun. It's hard to imagine them sort of like messing that up. Like we're going into you know labyrinth now, not knowing whether we'll enjoy it or not. But warriors and traders, yeah, yeah me a warrior, so. Paul a trader. And the, well, this is the other thing: the rules support that. The rules are actually a, quite simple, and they're kind of a framework for you to just go and do what you want. What do you want to do? This is the rules for doing it. Go and do it. <laughs> Two of you, one of you can be the trader, the other can be the warrior. Can you upgrade the other guy's armies? Of course you can. Why not? That makes perfect sense. Just let them make money, and you can make troops. And that's it. And you've got an evening of arguing and fighting and invading, and I think it looks promising. And just as a teasing, we, we should really say goodbye because um, the kettle's been boiling for 54 minutes and the metal is melting. Um, but we, we should also say another review for you guys to look forward to. This has kind of become a preview podcast. It's nice. We should oh. do this tomorrow. Uh, is, so all, a lot of you will have heard of The Resistance, a great card game, great party oh, game. yes. The guys who make The Resistance have very kindly sent us a package. Me and Paul are really enjoying actually being sent more board games. That's lovely. If you're a board game producer listening to this, send us some stuff because I don't have money to buy it anymore. <laughs> um, so the guys who made The Resistance sent us Flashpoint Fire Rescue, a co-op game about putting out fires, which me and Paul will be reviewing because you can drive ambulances, can't you? You can drive an ambulance around and you can get in the fire can engine and fire the water cannon. Can you be killed by fire? I think so. Well, certainly, a lot of <laughs> there, there's explosions and they spread. And oh, we're not yeah, going to have a. You nice described time. it as kind of like pandemic, but with a house, with fire, and fire. And house. And <laughs> okay, yeah. so they sent us that. This is uh, Indie Board and Cards, I think, is the name of the company. But more than that, they have sent us their prototype of their sort of sequel to the Resistance. Mm. So, if you're at all interested in the Resistance, if you're not, then clearly you haven't seen our review because it's amazing. Uh, and, but if you do play the resistance, then know that me and Paul actually can review. What's it called? The, is it the? Uh, it's the. Uh, hang on. I will op- open the cabinet. You'll open the plastic bag that it came in. Um, so yeah, we and we've read it, and it's amazing. So look forward to our review of that. 
and uh, it's going to be exclusive. It doesn't say on the top of the... It actually doesn't say on the top <laughs> of the piece of paper. We, they've, so to clarify, they've sent us some printed out cards and about four sides of A4 with no formatting, which is awesome. That's how raw and ready this hobby is. Uh, but you can already see the game in here. Yeah, so we'll, we'll tease you with a couple of things, one of which is that it's no, no longer sort of science fiction resistance. It's now... It's now the Resistance Avalon, and uh, you can be like Merlin and more. Yeah, so it's, it's King, King Arthur, Arthur and the... It's sort of the resistance plus wizards. Wizards! Uh, yeah. You were looking forward to saying that, weren't you? Well, I was looking 54 I was minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody. Um, me and Paul are actually going to play some continue playing dominant species. What do you think is going to happen? I think I'm going to eat all of the grubs and then I die in some tundra. The, yeah, actually, <laughs> I was going to say the tundra is going to cover all my monkeys except the ones, <laughs> the ones in the sea who are powered by the sun or whatever that resource is. Yeah. And then I'm going to take the hibernating card and just hibernate in the sea. I'm going to take the fertile card and just be fertile because then I won't even mind if I... No, I don't know where I'm going no, with that. Can we, should we turn off the... Because we... Everybody! Can't do this. Thank you for, uh, for, for listening. listening. And, um, yeah, we're going to go back to producing content. With The month of July was, of course, quiet, but not, no longer. The blog will, will be alive with the sound of uh, dice and cards again. Mm, yes, we've got a couple of things coming up. We do. Secrets as uh, well. We're not going to reveal everything. No, ah. we're not. Uh, okay, bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. bye.